We don't want or shouldn't help those people. Those people feel there is no hope, no future. Time to change the story. This is re-entry. We'd, we'd really like for people to know, not just know these stories, but, uh, but see the point of the stories and understand that you don't, you don't have to be a gang member. You can be a guy with a responsible job, a family, a property owner, the whole bit, and you can just gradually wander off the track and find yourself uh, in prison serving 299s uh, because uh, very innocent activities, very legal innocent activities can take you someplace where you don't want to go. Um, so now that people understand that reentry is this uh, taking people who have been incarcerated, getting them plugged back into society, like you were saying, now we want them to understand like th- these stories aren't just for shock value mm-hmm. or entertainment. Um, so as to John, I mean, that's kind of the thing we're going to learn from his story mm-hmm. is that he, he, he was the, the quintessential boy next door and, and he was raised quote unquote normal compared to American society. Like he had two parents that loved him. He was raised a Christian. He'll tell you he was saved at nine years old. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow along this story, he, going, was, he was a rodeo cowboy. And then it went all the way from that till till 45. Till 45 years of age. And then he went to jail for the first mm-hmm. time. For, and that's the first time he ever had anything on his record. Well, I don't know about you, but I think I'm, I'm ready to hear John's story yeah. and uh, let you guys understand, like Rick was saying, why, why we're listening to this, not just, not just for entertainment, not for shock value, mm-hmm. not to just point out where these guys stumble, but to, to really hone in and go, hey, this, this, is, this is our story, not just his. And we've got to do something to help prevent more stories like this happening. Well, welcome back to Reentry, and today we're here with John. Um, so, John, could you just give us a little introduction about yourself? Maybe how old you are, and then uh, from how old you are, how long you're in the system. My now. first name is John, and I am 72 years old. I was born in November of 1946. Um, I was raised up, and I was born into, and and reared in a Christian home. Okay. My mother and dad were both believers in Jesus Christ. And actually, they had five children. Oh, wow. So where are you in the mix? The bottom. You're the bottom. You're the, the, you're the baby. The boost. I'm the baby. Nice. Bottom. All right. All right. Um, I had an older sister and two older brothers and then myself. Gotcha. And uh, we weren't rich, but we weren't poor and always had food on the table. Uh, and I knew I was loved. Uh, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life as Lord and Savior at nine years old. I had heard the gospel from my dad. I would heard it from my preacher, my Sunday school teacher. I believed it. I believed in Jesus Christ dying on Calvary for my sins. I believed that he was coming back again. I believe in a heaven and I believe in a hell. I knew that I was a thief. 
I cannot blame my choices on anybody but myself. So when did those choices start to change? Well, uh, at about 12 or 14, I got up in front of my church and made a proclamation that I was going to be a minister. Mm. I don't think I would have ever been a pastor, but I think had I followed through on my vow to God, I think I would have ended up in Arizona or Utah as a minister to Indians. I believe that's what my calling would have been. Mm. And I, I turned from my calling. It's in Ecclesiastes that says, don't make a vow to God unless you intend to keep it. He takes no pleasure in fools. It is better that you don't vow that you, than that you vow and not keep it. Mm. And I did that. Mm. But anyway, uh, at about 16, I got a horse by the name of Buddy. And I fell in love with Buddy. He wasn't a great horse, but he was a really good horse. Mm. And I learned how to ride, really ride, mm. on Buddy. And before I knew it, I was in a riding club. I was going to horse sales. Uh, I quit going to church. Quit reading my Bible. Just told God, hey God, you know, I've changed my mind. I want to be a cowboy. Mm. There's no sin in riding horses. But just like motorcycles, key boats, or slot machines, if it becomes more important in your life than God, it becomes your God. It becomes your uh, idol. Yes. And I deal with cowboy and horses and cattle and goats. Uh, it became my idols. And I set God aside. And so how old are you at this point? I was 20 years old. So you had still yet to go in to prison, right? Oh, yeah. I, did. Okay. I was within two weeks of being 45 years old before I ever had a pair of handcuffs put on me. Really? Real. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one how do we get to that point in time? Life is a downward spiral, mm. and one little sin leads to another little sin, and before you know it, you're just in a funnel of sin. What happened was I started running with a cowgirl. It was and I treated her like a little sister until she was 18. Mm -hmm. When I was about 22, we started committing fornication. Mm -hmm. She wasn't married and I wasn't married. Right. But I uh, got her pregnant. And uh, when I found out that she was pregnant, we got married. And that's when my first daughter come from. Okay. Right. We got married right away. And... Uh, I was married to her for 13 years, and I had three kids by her, three daughters by her. Wow, three little girls. Mm -hmm. But I started running around on her. I got into nudism. I got into group sex. I mean, it was a, it's a downward turn. You know, it's, it's terrible. But I really got into nudism, and I think the fact that I wanted to be a nudist led to a good part of our divorce because mm. she didn't want no part of it. So I just gave her the house and kept the kid, paid my child support, and owned some land in Wise County. I owned several houses. But, I mean, you know, this was all moved in a cycle. But, mm -hmm. uh, actually, I lived a double life. Mm. I started off in finance. I, I don't know if you ever heard of Hobbs Trailer Company, but they built uh, truck trailers. Mm-hmm. Refrigerated trailers, dump trailers, flatbed trailers, you know, mm -hmm. trucks. Yeah. Right. And I was 
assistant credit manager for a while, and then I took over the forward branches, uh, credit manager, office manager. Okay. And then I worked for them for 11 years. I uh, went to work for GMAC and worked 11 years for GMAC, General Motors Finance. Mm -hmm. And I was a supervisor at GMAC when I was arrested. So you were also fairly successful. Then. Oh, yeah. I made a lot of money and I wasted a lot of money. Mm. But uh, So how did, how did we, once you started down this really central dark path, what led to the actual arrest? Okay, I actually uh, had come to the conclusion in my mind. I just came to believe that I could do whatever I wanted to. I could do it. And uh, after a few years of being divorced, I, I met a lady at a nudist park, and I married her. And I had one daughter with her. And, and we decided to buy our own land and open our own nudist park. So if all this is legal, how did we get to that? Okay. And I was a supervisor and I had another man who was a supervisor. Our, our branch was open from 8.30 in the morning till 8.30 at night. Okay. And so it was my night at 8.30 and I drove home and when I pulled into my property and uh, there was a couple of boys who came to my nudist park and they were minors. I, I fondled and committed oral sex on two boys. And you knew that's what they were there for. Mm -hmm. And one of the boys did oral sex on me. And that's why my, I got two counts of aggravated sexual assault of minor boys. I'm doing 99 years aggravated. And nobody but myself. I made the choices. I made the calculated determination. And... Uh, it's the very worst thing that ever happened to me, but it's the very best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Because uh, I was exhausted. Just the experience was exhausted. First time I'd ever had a pair of handcuffs put on me. First time I'd ever been arrested. Uh, I knew I was guilty, and I wasn't gonna waste any money on an attorney, mm. or bond, or anything like that. So, uh, at that point, I wasn't going to be living past it. I mean, it was all, I was going to be gone in the next day or two. I fully intended to kill myself. Didn't say one word to nobody about it. It was my plan. I know exactly how I was going to do it, and I could do it right now if I wanted to. I'm not going to tell nobody else how to do it. Right. I could kill myself. But the next morning, two of my older daughters came to me and said, Dad, he said, Officer so-and-so says you're going to kill yourself. And would you please promise us that you will not kill yourself? And when I promised them I wouldn't kill myself, I took it seriously. Mm. And within a couple of weeks after that, I was on my knees in the Parker County Jail with two Pentecostal volunteer chaplains. And I was praying to God. It was like I had a, there was a 55-gallon drum in front of me. Now, I didn't see anything, and I didn't hear it verbally. But this is how I felt and what I saw. A 55-gallon drum has a, has a pouring spout and a little air spout across from it. Mm -hmm. And it's like I was looking down 
inside this 55-gallon drum. And it was full of all the crud and trash of 25 years of sin. It was full of sin. And at the very bottom, I don't know if you know what an old kitchen match is like, but those old long steel matches. Mm-hmm. And it was like a kitchen match, just where it flickers, just where it goes out. Right. And I'm done, and I can see this flickering, not even as much as a birthday candle. And I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come back into my life. And when I said that, it's like that barrel was full of oxygen settling and it was poof. And it was the brightest light I had ever seen. And that little flicker was the Holy Spirit. I had quenched it. I had vexed it. I had grieved it. But it never left me. And when I said, forgive me, it was all burnt up. And the Holy Spirit has been with me day for day. He did prison with me, and he came out of prison with me. Uh And he's doing day for day with me right now. He never loved me. No. And that's what I want other people to know. When I, if you're nine years old and you know what you're talking about and you believe Jesus, the gospel, then I believe you can be saved. When God's word, his promises, he keeps. He never breaks his word. Amen. He kept his word all through those years. And I just run and did everything, an abomination of abominations in front of him. And he still loved me enough to pull me back. Wow. The reason I don't, I'm willing to even admit it is because it's the glory of God. How he could forgive a deteriorated person like me. Mm. Uh, he can forgive anybody. My, my reputation, my life ain't worth nothing. Mm. But if I can say, hey, look what God did for me. Look what Jesus did for me. And if, he, if I was that low down and dirty and rotten, if I can impress on one person that, hey, you're not, you're not too bad for God to forgive you. Wow. Then, hey, it's worth it all. And so you were total in prison how long? A little over 25 years. So from 91 to? I got out January the 13th, 2017. And you were, you were sentenced to 99 years. Under the old law that I was on, Mm -hmm. uh, they go up to 60 years. Okay. And everything over 60 years is counted as 60. And I Uh, had to do a quarter. Gotcha. But it was the best thing that happened to me because I never would have come back to Jesus if Mm. I hadn't gone to prison. And I tell you what, I have met some wonderful Christian people Mm. in prison. And I have had the opportunity to witness and bring people to Christ. And I saw people in prison who had AIDS. And this was back in the early 90s. Right. And many of them were dying. And uh, I just had to pray to God. I said, God, there's no reason in this world why I shouldn't be like them. Mm. I shouldn't have AIDS. You know, I shouldn't be dying for my, for, for my activities that I did. It's just by the grace of God that I'm not. Mm-hmm. 
So once you uh, once you got out, and as far as I understand, like you have to have a place to go, right? When you get out I of did. prison. When I first got out, I went to a ministry called New Name Ministries in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and then I moved from there to Haven of Rest, which is affiliated with Change of Grace, That's right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I've been here ever since. What made you move from place to place there, like from the place you first started to, to Haven Arrest? Well, the truth of the matter is, and I, I won't know that, I got dear brothers at New Name Ministry, mm-hmm. and I'm not que- questioning their uh, intentions or their salvation or anything mm-hmm. else. When I got there, I found out that they were not as Jesus-motivated as I was looking for. Mm. But I actually was asked to leave. Mm. And the reason I was asked to leave is because I was washing other people's dishes. What was bad about that? What it was was I was retired when I got out. I was 70 when I got out. I wasn't looking for a job. And there was a bunch of guys who were getting up at like 4 o'clock in the morning and 5 and 6 going to work. And they'd run around and eat breakfast, and they'd leave their dishes in the sink. They had to go to work. Right. right? That was my explanation, but it wasn't good enough. But according to their guidelines, I was failing to make them meet their responsibilities. Gotcha. So places like this allow you to be somewhere while still within the guidelines that you're you're placed under. Mm -hmm. And the best thing I can tell you, and I'm not judging nobody else, but there are quality of uh, facilities. Mm. And I tell you, Haven of Rest and Change of Grace is uh, the most Christ-centered, Christ-motivated organization that I've been associated with. There are other ministries in the area and I'm not criticizing. You just mm-hmm. have to go and check them out and judge them for yourself. But it is important to be informed on exactly who you're That's supporting right. and why. There's, it's just like everything else. There's sometimes there's wolves and lambs uh, clothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. So it's very important to check them out. Well, I got to say, John, um, this was my first time to hear the full story, and I, I don't think there could be any clear evidence that like you were saying no man is too far gone no woman is too far gone that god can come into a life as dark as it can get and bring it back to the light Um, i mean just talking with you seeing your face and i I really hope one day others can come see you and hear your story um face to face because i think when they do they'll be able to see what i see which is a a man redeemed Mm -hmm. who like any of us who has grown up in a Christian home in, you know, America's society as, as normal as it could be, had everything given to him as far as never wanting for food or a roof over your head. Like you were saying, with just a few choices can spiral down um, as far as you can go and still have Christ reach out and say, nope, you're mine and, and bring you back to himself. So to hear you say that and to listen to that story is both encouraging to me, uh, informative to me, um, and really breaks down some of those 
some of those stereotypes and some of those walls that a lot of us have put up um, against people like yourself um, with, with, without really getting to know what God can do in, in a life like that. So I just want to thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I really hope that a lot of people hear what I heard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much for your time. Do you have any last words for, for well, people as far as this goes? All I can tell you is, if you see or hear anything good in me, it ain't me. It's Jesus Christ working in me. And he alone deserves all the glory. So uh, I just pray that people will open their hearts and come to Jesus Christ. That's, that's all I care about anymore. There are always four ways people can help us. The first thing is people can pray for us. We need prayer support. We need a lot of people out there praying. Uh, the second thing you can do for us is contact us. You can go to our website, chainsofgrace.org. Uh, you can uh, contact us in any way you want to from that website. Uh, we would like to talk to more and more people about Chains of Grace and just let you know about what this ministry is and uh, and how you can come alongside us and join this ministry. So please pray for us, contact us, refer us to other people. We want more and more people to know about us. And please prayerfully consider donating to us. Ask your uh, church missions director to put us in their missions budget. Uh, Grant, I want people to know we're about to open another house. Um, we need about $25,000 to do that. Somebody listening to this podcast can write a check for that amount or some amount that leads us to it. We have more applications right now than we could possibly provide beds for. So we need to be raising money right now. I don't know if anybody wants to hear me say that over and over again, but <laughs> it just takes money to do this ministry. And so that's my challenge to, to you guys is by the time I get the next podcast up in two weeks, um, the, the following Friday, every two weeks, and by the next time we do episode four, I would love to be able to come on and say, hey, we've already got that 25000 So I'm going to get the new podcast, new story, new expert on here that you will want to hear. So love us, pray for us, and come back in two weeks. This is Reentry.